Welcome, everyone. And a very good to again be uh, here with you in the Battle Creek Tabernacle. As we begin our topic uh, this afternoon, let's just begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the opportunity to meet in this historic place, the Battle Creek Tabernacle, to open your word. Um, to a message that I believe is pertinent for your people in these last days. <clears throat> I just pray that you can uh, use my lips, that your spirit will uh, reach each person that is uh, listening here in the auditorium or in the live stream, um, all around the world, wherever that might be. May they be blessed as we open the word together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to open in your Bibles to Revelation 14, um, verse 12. Revelation 14, 12 is a text that every Seventh-day Adventist is either knows by heart or um, has heard many, many times. And we're going to begin and end on this passage. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. The topic this afternoon is talking, is entitled, From Faith to Faith. And we will be looking a little bit more into this concept of the faith of Jesus Christ. Alan White, in Third Selected Messages, page 172, makes this statement, referring to this passage. The third angel's message is the proclamation of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The commandments of God have been proclaimed, but the faith of Jesus has, the faith of Jesus Christ has not been proclaimed by Seventh-day Adventists as of equal importance. The law and the gospel going hand in hand. I cannot find language to express this subject in its fullness. Third Selected Messages, page 172. And so, Ellen White identifies that part of the very heart of the, the text that is a favorite for Seventh-day Adventists is not understood, and it's often neglected, and even she had a hard time putting language to it. And that's what we're going to delve into this afternoon. So the question of all questions in this topic is, what is the faith of Jesus? And uh, as we look at a few passages, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, and we're going to find right off the bat that there is a difference of opinion just in one small word that completely changes the passage. And so I'm just going to read a few quick verses. We'll come back to them in a little more detail, um, but that illustrate this point. There are about seven passages in the King James Bible that translates... The Greek, uh, the Greek is uh, pistis, uh, Yesu Christo, the faith of Jesus Christ, that translated as faith of Jesus. And so, but if you turn in your New King James, if you turn in your NIV, if you turn in your American Standard Version or all these modern translations, the translators instead will translate it as faith in Jesus. And that's what we're going to spend a few minutes looking at. So real quick, look at Romans 3, um, 22. I'm going to read it from the King James Version. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. 
Another one, Galatians 3.22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And a couple of other passages that have the very same theme but are just slightly different include Galatians 2.20, one that's familiar to us. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There are several more that we could look at, but the point is the Greek words are translated differently. The, uh, in, even in the King James in Galatians 3.22, just a few passages down, and in Romans 3.26, the King James interprets it also, the very same words interprets it as faith in Jesus. And so the modern translations all seem to follow that same rule, and they routinely follow in, 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 they routinely translate that passage as the faith in Jesus Christ. So the big question that we want to answer is this. Is it something that Jesus does on our behalf? Or is it something that I do as the believer? I believe that the evidence is overwhelmingly weighted on the side of the faith of Jesus. And we're going to look at that as we dig in just a little bit. The first reason for noting this is that, first of all, um, the action word uh, believe is what faith produces. So faith produces belief, the noun in the verb. And so the following verses describe this connection. And uh, we don't naturally have faith, but faith produces belief. So let's turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians 4.13, and I will give you a moment to turn there. 2 Corinthians 4.13. So we, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. There is this connection between the spirit of faith and belief. The two are joined together in Paul's writings. Hebrews 11.6 also puts it this way, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There is this connection between faith and belief. There's also a connection between faith in love, a very close, close connection. Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love. And so since God is love, as 1 John 4, um, verses 8 and 16 says, God is love, he is the source of the action that is behind the belief. So there is a dynamic. There is this balance between faith, which creates belief between faith and love, which creates belief. And these two play off and go back and forth. And that's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, talks about Jesus as the author. The word R is supplied in the original Greek. He is the author of faith. 
But God's love does desire a response. We love him because he loved us. This is the only way that we can love is because God initiates the love. We love him because he first loved us. So the implications are similar if we follow the parallels. We love him because he first loved us. Can it also be true that we have faith because he first believed in us? Faith produces faith. That's the only way that it could be. God's faith is the ability to see something that's not. And because his word is powerful and creative, he can just speak the word and things happen. When God says, let there be light, there's light. When God looks at a fallen sinful human and says, let there be righteousness, the only thing that impedes that from happening and becoming fact is our unbelief. And so faith is creative, it's powerful, it doesn't railroad over our free choice. And so therefore we have to cooperate. But it, every New Testament passage that uses this phrase includes the verb believe and the noun faith. They're describing this reciprocal dynamic. And there are verses that we've already looked at and we're going to look at a little bit more. So let's just back up a moment. A lot of times when we read Romans or Galatians or Ephesians, we somehow have the idea that Paul is kind of expounding all these different intricacies of theology. And the reality is, is that Paul experienced Jesus Christ personally on the road to Damascus. He had an experience with the gospel. Jesus was literally crucified for him. And he took that to heart. And so it's important to realize that when Paul is writing to the Romans and he's writing to the Galatians, he is explaining the what behind the gospel story. We've got the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the gospel is also in Romans and the gospel is also in Galatians. It's just that Paul is referring back to those stories and he does it through using the phrase, the faith of Jesus or the faithfulness of Jesus. And therefore, he explains the implications of the gospel story. So let's dig into this a little deeper and let's start with Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. What is the power? The gospel is the power. Just real quick, turn over to 1 Corinthians 1.18 and just look at the similarities here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. Do you see how Paul is linking these two things? He's equating then the message of the cross with the gospel. And both of them have this power. The Greek word is deutimus, this incredible 
explosive power that is built into the gospel. So Paul is using these words to refer to what Jesus Christ did when he came and lived a life by faith all the way to the cross, taking up his cross. It's the message of the cross. It's the gospel. It's the story of Jesus' own faith. Ellen White says in Third Selected Messages, page 184, the soul-saving message, the third angel's message, is the message to be given to the world. This is what Seventh-day Adventists were raised up to do. Our number one primary calling is to give the three angels' messages to the world. This is the message to be given to the world. The commandments of God in the faith of Jesus are both important, immensely important, and, mu and must be given with equal force and power. The first part of the message has been dwelt upon mostly, the last part casually. The faith of Jesus is not comprehended. We must talk it. We must live it. We must pray it and educate the people to bring this part of the message into their home life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we believe the spirit of prophecy and we believe this message, Ellen White is saying that this is core Adventism. Not just for Adventists, because this is core that needs to go to the world as part of the end time message. This is the heart of it. And yet, we hardly talk about the faith of Jesus. In fact, our new translations have hidden the faith of Jesus. And so we need to uncover it. Let's flip back to Romans chapter 1. So verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. The gospel, the gospel story is the story of the faith of Jesus being willing to go all the way to the cross. Paul is condensing the gospel story into these powerful few words that are almost like code. But in verse 17, for in it, what is the it? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. How many are just? It's only been one. Just. From birth to death, only one who has lived a righteous life. We don't have time to get into this, but this is a quotation from the Old Testament that Paul quotes three times in Romans and Corinthians and Hebrews. That just shall live by faith. But notice the expression, righteousness of God is revealed from faith. Whose faith is that? Does my faith reveal the righteousness of God? It requires a just and righteous person's faith, and there's only been one. This has to be referring to the faith of Jesus Christ. But, Faith should be seen as this expression that is almost circular. God expresses faith and naturally he should get back faith. That's what faith does just as Halav does.
Now, as we go through these passages, we will begin noticing that if we interpret these passages as saying faith in Jesus, some of them start becoming awfully redundant. So let's flip over just a page or two to Romans chapter 3, and I will begin in verse 20. So I'm going to back up and just begin with Romans chapter 3, um, verse three, uh, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? We could ask, what advantage do Seventh-day Adventists have? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Romans chapter 3 is dealing with God's justice and God's faithfulness. And if I don't believe, if I don't respond in faith, does that neutralize his God's belief? Does that neutralize his faith? No. It should be a natural response. But the ultimate reality is that God is demonstrating his faith through his son. That is the gospel story. And that is how he has vindicated his character. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Can we be justified by law-keeping? Sinful beings in need of a Savior cannot be justified by keeping the law. Even the righteousness of God, which is through the faith of my Bible says, through the faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. Do you see the redundancy saying the faith in Jesus to those who believe? Faith produces belief. And faith, faith uh, reveals the righteousness of God. The King James says the, the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That the righteousness of God without law is manifested <clears throat> being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's revealed. The action word here is manifested or revealing. And what does that manifestation do? The manifestation of Jesus' faith shows the righteousness of God. And that is what we then respond to. And so, clearly it looks like that we should be translating verse 22, that even the righteousness of God, which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. So, Paul says there is no difference. At the very core of the 1888 message that was given, given by Jones and Wagner is this concept that Jesus Christ has done something for every single human being. The whole world has been justified in Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. And we see that in this passage. is through the faith of Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 
that same all are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. This passage is not about us. This passage is about the work that Jesus did as a man living a life of faith and going all the way to the cross to save us. A.T. Jones, in the Sabbath, uh, Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald, June 7, 1892, page 354, said it this way, referring to this passage. For God has set forth Jesus to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. It is the righteousness of God himself, and it is a free gift unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And the righteousness of God will be accepted by the holy law. This is the character that will pass every test of the righteous judgment of God. This righteousness, this character, is the gift of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what A.T. Jones is saying? He's saying that God gives us his righteousness, that this righteousness was produced by Jesus Christ himself, by the faith of Jesus. Now sometimes we think, can God really have faith? And wasn't Jesus God? If he knows everything from the end to the beginning, it is the, Jones continues, it is the character which God himself formed in Jesus Christ. This is a character that reaches from infancy to the grave. It is the free gift of God to everyone who will take it. And if anyone who does not have it, he will be left outside the kingdom of God. But says this word that I have read. A.T. Jones also goes on to say a year later, um, Adventist Review, Sabbath, Herald, October 5, 1897, page 632. In this righteousness of God, this perfect and infinite righteousness was brought to the world and wrought out for men by the faith of Jesus Christ. In this righteousness of God, God's own righteousness in all its perfection and in all of its Im infinitude is manifested in a full and free gift unto all and upon all them that believe in Jesus Christ. Bless his glorious name forever and ever. Well, we're going to move on real quick over to Galatians. Let's go to Galatians 2. And we'll just look at uh, Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Those of you, unless you have a King James Version, this text is basically saying that we know we're not justified by keeping the law. But is it true that it's saying that instead we are actually justified because of our faith? Is that what Paul's contrasting? Well, you're not justified because you kept the law, but you are justified because you express faith in Jesus Christ. That's what all of your Bibles say unless you have the King James Version. And you have to wrestle with which one makes the most sense. 
It's far more powerful to read it that we are not justified by anything we can do like law-keeping, but we are justified by what Jesus Christ did when he kept the law and he lived a righteous life and he gives us that life. He lives out his righteousness in us through faith. He gives us his faith. This becomes alive and it becomes powerful and you can see why it has to be linked to the three angels' messages. It's the only way that the commandments of God can be kept. They have to go together. So Paul is contrasting two methods, but not two methods that we do. He's contrasting what we do versus what God did. And it is accomplished. So is it done? So A.T. Jones says, Paul describes all men as they are in themselves when he says, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. A man says he will do better, and then he does his best and fails. And it always will be so until he finds that power which comes from beyond himself, the power of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. How many of you have experienced this? I've experienced this much of my life, trying to do better. I know what's right. I'd try to do it, and I'd still fall. And I'd get back up, and I'd try even harder the next time. And some of us who have a lot of willpower keep doing it over and over and over, but we keep coming up short. And if we don't understand the faith of Jesus, and we don't understand the gospel, some of us give up. I'm one that did until I heard this most precious good news. You know, I used to, as a heart doctor, I used to tell my patients, you know, you really should stop smoking. The reality is, every one of my patients knows. They know they should keep, stop smoking. Mark Twain said, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it a thousand times. They have tried, and they tell me things like, okay, I'll really try this time. All right, Dr. Schwartz, I'll do my best. I'll really try. It's a recipe. What am I asking my patients to do? I'm asking them to become legalists because they have no power from within to accomplish this. And so it's much more powerful if I say, Mr. Jones, smoking is destroying your life, but Jesus Christ can set you free. Would it be all right if I prayed and asked him to give you power in your life? I am tapping him into the gospel power that is stronger than himself, and that is how true freedom comes from smoking, cessation. All right, time is flying, so let's jump over to Galatians 2. Well, I'll just jump down a few verses, Galatians 2. Well, let's finish our text in verse 16. So knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith, I have now edited my King, New King James Version of the Bible to say, by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ. It wouldn't make sense to say believe in Jesus and then believed in Jesus twice. That doesn't make sense. But because of the faith of Jesus, we respond by believing in Jesus that we might be justified by, the, by faith of 
Jesus Christ and not by the works of law. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And another familiar text then just a few verses down, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You might actually have to edit your Bible. That sounds almost preposterous. But if we go back to the original, um, the original, I believe, will support the faith of Jesus. And it just doesn't make sense. You see that there's these redundancies if we don't wrestle with that. Paul realized that when Jesus died, all died. And so he could confess, I am crucified with Christ. And since he believed this universal truth, he could continue, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The indwelling of Christ by means of the Holy Spirit is the only solution to the sin in the flesh. Everyone is alive because of the faith and the love that God revealed in Jesus. For everyone, this, this phrase is true, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is true for everyone, whether we know it or not. We are all alive today, and we all have the promise of eternal life tomorrow because of what Jesus did. Because of Jesus' faith, we live. Reminds me of a song. Galatians 3, verse uh, 22. The scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by the faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Does that make sense? Who brings the promise? The promise comes through Jesus. And so it makes much more sense if we understand that God is the initiator of faith to read this passage as that the promise by the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Otherwise, we have those who believe in Jesus who believe. It's redundant and it doesn't make any sense. And it's antithetical to the gospel. Well, let's jump ahead. Time is flying. Can God really have faith? Wasn't Jesus divine? And so there's this interesting story. In Mark chapter 4, for the interest of time, we won't turn there. But Jesus had finished up ministry. He was tired. They were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and you know the storm broke out. And his disciples were frightened out of their minds, and they look back, and Jesus is just resting in the back of the boat, getting some sleep, completely, apparently oblivious. And then when they wake him up, Mark 4.39 says, He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. What's the difference between calm and a great calm? This was a great calm that fell. Well, Jesus is the creator of the world. Of course the world's going to listen to him, right? 
Why do we expect this to be such a surprise? But Desire of Ages, page 336, gives us a glimpse into Jesus' faith. Ellen White states that when Jesus was awakened to meet the storm, he was in perfect peace. There was no trace of fear in word or look, for no fear was in his heart. But he rested not in the possession of almighty power. It was not as the master of earth and sea and sky that he reposed in the quiet. That power he had laid down. And he says, I can of mine own self do nothing in John chapter 5, verse 30. He trusted in the Father's might. It was in faith. Faith in God's love and care that Jesus rested in the power of that word which stilled the storm was the power of God. Jesus Christ lived here on this world in our flesh by faith. That is why he is the author of faith and the finisher of faith. Well, Ellen White, Third Selected Messages, page 172, says this. The faith of Jesus, it is talked of, but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer, that he might become our sin-pardoning savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness. And faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. What part of working out our own salvation do we participate with? We cooperate with the gift that God gave to us. We don't have time to go through Romans 5, but Jesus Christ is the gift that God gave to us. Jesus Christ is the gift that God gave to the world. By that gift, we have love restored. We have faith restored. We have life restored. It's hard to pass up Romans 5. As any self-respecting 1888 speaker. So, real quick. Verse 15. The free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. That free gift, when Paul uses that term, the free gift, charisma in the Greek, is referring to the work that Jesus did in overcoming the flesh by faith and going all the way to the cross. That has been given to every man. Desire of Ages, page 756, amid the awful darkness apparently forsaken of God, Christ had drained the last dregs in the cup of human woe. In those dreadful hours, he had relied upon the evidence of his father's acceptance heretofore given him. He was acquainted with the character of his father. He understood his justice and his mercy and his great love. By faith, he rested in him 
whom it had ever been his joy to obey. And as in submission he committed himself to God, the sense of the loss of his father's favor withdrawn from, was withdrawn. But by faith, Christ was the victor. He didn't do this supernaturally by some power that we don't have available to us. He gives us his faith that has already conquered death. That is the faith of Jesus. In his book, The Faith of the Messiah, page 366, Marcus Barth states this, the justification of man cannot take place upon the ground of an immediate relationship between the believer and God. The means of justification is Jesus Christ himself in his relationship with God into man. He alone brings us into right with God by his faithfulness. He is the true representative of all men. When Paul elaborates on justification, the faith of Christ is the means and the faith of men in Christ is the purpose and the response. So think about this. We love him because why? He first loved us. It's the goodness of God that draws us to what? Repentance. It's from faith. Whose faith? God's faith manifested in Jesus. That creates faith in the believer. We always respond. We never initiate our salvation. Ellen White says in the Ministry of Healing, page 182, nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of a savior. By prayer, by the study of his word, by faith in his abiding presence, get this, the weakest, feel like sometimes I'm just so much weaker than everybody else out there, we fail miserably, constantly reminded of our fallings. Ellen White says, the weakest of human beings may live in contact with the living Christ, and he will hold them by a hand that will never let them go. God, through his son Jesus, who lived by faith, has wrought out a perfect salvation, a complete salvation. And he gives it to everyone. There is nobody's fallen so far, nobody so weak, that that faithfulness of God cannot reach them. And once they do, we'll never let them go. Jesus is the Savior of all men. Another quote that I appreciate. The parable of the merchant man seeking goodly pearls has a double significance. It applies not only to men as seeking the kingdom of heaven, but to Christ as seeking his lost inheritance. Christ, the heavenly merchantman seeking goodly pearls, saw and lost humanity the pearl of price. In man defiled and ruined by sin, he saw the possibilities of redemption. Hearts that have been the battleground of the conflict with Satan and that have been rescued by the power of love are more 
precious to the Redeemer than those who have never fallen. God looked upon humanity not as vile and worthless. He looked upon it in Christ. He saw it as it might become through redeeming love. He collected the riches of the universe and laid them down in order to buy the pearl. And Jesus, having found it, resets it in his own diadem. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an enzyme upon his head, Zechariah 9.16. This is from Christ Object Lessons, page 118. Think about how vast our universe is. And yet who was it that all things were made? Jesus Christ himself. By him, there was nothing made that was made. And so, God gave his only son, who was the creator of everything. How much value is that? It's infinite. We cannot comprehend it. And we see this principle that comes out of the faith of Jesus. This concept, I should say. It's called the as-though concept. And it would be good for us to learn this with our children and how we relate to each other. But God, when he looks at us, he doesn't see us as defiled by sin. He sees what we can be if we are restored in his son. And so when he says you are righteous, he sees you as being righteous. And the only thing that, doesn't, that's, that, that abates that from happening is our unbelief. The only thing that stands in the way of God's creative world, word is our unbelief. From Lift Him Up, page 221, Ellen White states that each word, each action is a work for God. Here is faith in God and faith in men. Christ would never have given his life for the human race if he had not faith in the souls for which he died. He knew that a large number would respond to the love he had expressed for humanity. It is not every heart that responds, but every heart may and can, if it will, respond to that love that is without parallel. My sheep hear my voice, Christ said. A heart yearning for God will recognize the voice of God. God cannot respond to one soul that does not respond to his grace offered, his love respond, his, his love bestowed. He is waiting for a response of souls. Why can God, there aren't too many things that God can't do, but he can't respond to a soul that won't respond back. Why? Because there's nothing more he can do. He has given everything. He has staked his very life on our salvation. He has given his son who everything in the universe was created by. There's nothing more that he can do to win our hearts. He has done everything possible. So how does this work? God is love, and thus he is able to see and believe what everyone can be in his plan when he pours out unselfish love and when it is received. He works to give us a picture of what he sees and how he views us. 
And then he treats us that way. As sinners who have lost faith and love, God works to restore faith and love. How does he do that? He restores faith by believing in us. He restores love by loving us. That's how, that's how when uh, Romans 12 says that God has given to everyone a measure of faith, that's how this measure of faith comes. God believes in you and therefore it produces faith. If we can just understand what Jesus did for us, the gospel story, it will cause faith to well up in our hearts. Romans 10 verse 8, we're just going to read it for interest of time. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That word is very close, the word of faith. How does it come? Verse 17 answers that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is powerful. God's word is creative. If we will just avail ourselves to his word, it will create faith in us. It's from faith to faith. If we will just look at the cross, if we will just examine what Christ did, if we will just experience his love for us, it will produce faith. I like this quote from Abraham Heschel, a Jewish scholar in the book, God, uh, You Are Not Alone, wrote that faith is real only when it is not one-sided but reciprocal. Man can rely on God if God can rely on man. We may trust in him because he trusts in us. To have faith means to justify God's faith in man. We prove God's faith because we respond. It is essential that God believe in man as that man should believe in God. Thus, faith is awareness of divine mutuality and companionship, a form of communion between God and man. In another one of my favorite books, The Faith of Jesus by Richard Hayes, he puts it this way. The faith of Jesus should be understood as a concentric expression which begins always from the faith of Christ himself, but which includes necessarily the answering faith of the believer, which claim that faith as their own. Just as we see the circle of beneficence that Ellen White describes in the opening chapter of the great, of uh, Desire of Ages, we get a picture here as well of the circle of faith. Everything we have is initiated by God. Life itself was a gift of God. Ellen White understood this principle in a very practical way. I'm just going to read a story that was described by her in 1894, New South Wales, Australia. There was a lady named Mrs. Radley who was a believer and uh, Ellen White now commenting in first manuscript releases 146. She said, we were rejoiced to see brother what Radley at this meeting. He was very cautious in committing himself. His wife embraced the truth first and he came along more slowly. 
<clears throat> we visited him and saw that he was a man of few words and seldom attended our Adventist meetings. We held meetings at Brother Radley's house, but he manifested so little interest in them that they were discontinued. His heart was not inclined to fully accept the faith. But get this. She says, I talked to him as though he was fully with us, presenting before him his responsibilities for his neighbors. I said to him, you have the light of truth and you have a work to do to enlighten others. You love to read, study then for time to time and for eternity. The time which any of us have to work is short. We must act our part in the service of God. I told him that what he could do to advance the knowledge of the truth. He assented to it by a mere response. A year later, Brother Starr was with me in 1894. And after we left the meeting with Brother Radley, uh, Brother Starr said, I was surprised to hear you talk to him as though he were fully with us. He himself does not work on the Sabbath, but his hired help does. And I answered to Brother Starr, I said, I talked to him in just the right way. I presented to him his high obligations to God in point of influence, laying the matter before him as one who should stand in the gap and make up the hedge, raise up the Sabbath of the fourth commandment to his exalted standard. Again, talking about Brother Radley, he felt himself far from deserving the confidence I placed in him. We prayed with the family. We had the precious blessings of the Lord. And from time to time, we visited him. He always treated us courteously, but he did not fully identify himself with us. Yet I always talked to him as one who knew and loved the truth, always laying out plans with him whereby he might be a laborer together with God. I said, Brother Radley, the Lord wants you to cooperate with him. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. And he looks to his human agents through whom he can communicate truth to others. He will use you through the strongest principles of your mental and moral capabilities to reach other minds. One night, the Lord gave me a message for him and I arose at midnight and wrote out page after page. I knew the Lord was calling for him. I sent the message to be read to him by a, by a brother Whiteman, a neighbor, who was in a similar position. And uh, he came over and read, he went over and read the matter to him and said, and Brother Radley said, why did she write such a communication to me? I'm not a believer. I do not want to separate from my neighbors. I cannot displease those whom, with whom I have lived for 20 years. Nellen White says, I had been shown that we become too easily discouraged over the souls who do not seem to take hold at once. We want to go knock on the door, pass out a piece of literature, and come back the next week and claim them for baptisms. It's not quite that bad, but that's basically what we tend to want to do. Ellen White saw this process of entering in with people, getting to know them, but treating him as if he was one of us already. That is the as though principle. That is seeing with the eyes of Christ, the eyes of faith. <clears throat> she goes on to say later, oh, how happy I am to state that Brother Radley has come out decided, firm, and true. He is now one of the leaders in his church. 
she then says, I have placed this case before you in full in order that you may know the manner in which I have worked. This we have done in many cases with the best results. We have kept reading matter before those who are unsettled and yet temptations are so strong that they, that they will not yield to the truth. Alan White treated him as somebody who was with them, even though it took years to, to bring that to fruition. This idea of the faith of Jesus is meant to be very practical. Ellen White had already told us in an earlier quote to bring it into the home life. We can destroy our children by the things we say. Johnny, you're just like your dad. You're not going to amount to anything. That will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if instead you say, Johnny, even after they've done the worst thing in the world, God has faith in you. You are going to do great things for him. That can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. God restores love by loving us. God restores faith by believing in us. How then should we treat others? By love and by faith. Seeing the best in others. In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus asks an interesting question. Jesus raises the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When you look around us, you see people's hearts failing them for faith, for fear. Faith is really being lost. And yet, the text that we started off with, Revelation 14, 12, is the answer Jesus is going to have a group of people in the very last days who live by faith. This is his answer to the great controversy on this earth. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. They have to go together. We can't separate them. It is the midnight hour. It is time for a most precious message. That most precious message has to exalt and lift up Jesus at its very core. How is this war won? It's not going to be by having better sermons. We live in an era where the media has destroyed faith in everything people hear. You cannot discern truth anymore. You tune in to the station that has your political truth and the, and the facts are skewed through that. The world is bombarded with so much information, nobody knows what to turn to for diet information. Nobody knows what to turn to for gospel information. It's now believed that all roads lead to God and all truth, it's just if it makes sense to you, that's fine. God is going to have a people that aren't just preaching at meetings like this, but are living by the faith of Jesus. And that demonstration is going to be so crystal clear that the whole world is going to take notice.
That is what God is waiting for. As I close, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Our faith, working by love, believing in Jesus to the end, are but a response to his faith and love which never fails. Christ Object Lessons, page 333. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we repent of not understanding the faith of Jesus, of talking about it, but not taking it to heart. Just pray that the love of Christ may constrain us, that your faithfulness will win our hearts over. Thank you that you believe in us, and may we see that you have called us to be your last day demonstration to this world. Thank you for that opportunity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.